You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast for the first time, the last time, the next time, whatever. I'm not in your house. I'm not in your business. I don't care. Um, Today, we have a very special guest. (laughs) Really starting off aggressive today. Um, We just were talking about Florida, so I'm feeling a little feisty. Today, we are joined by Floridian Adrian Gibbs of the Dirty Run. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't introduce you as a Floridian. (laughs) That feels a little like kind of insulting a little bit. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. It's a little brutal. Yeah, sorry about it. Um, it's hot there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just say uh, the the perpetually sweating Adrian Gibbs. There well, you I'll go. Leave with that. There you go. Uh, of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. And I love an irreverent collab. You know. Me too. Um, for those of you who may or may not know, we are part of a collective of people, which really just means that we um, are friends and hang out <laughs> on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> and go yeah. on each other's podcasts. Exactly. Which is That's great. That's all we do. We just, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's just kind of a, just a circular, we all just hang out with each other and go on each other's shows. It's great. And I will say it's a good way to vet your podcast, like that you want to listen to like you if they're on a certain platform you're like oh they must be all right if these assholes are putting up with that's their bullshit true. You know? that's true that's actually yeah you're right you go hey if you like this then who knows you might you know like these other folks too exactly well adrian we usually start off the podcast by having people tell us a little bit about their life story their testimony so to speak uh-huh. so tell us a little bit about you <laughs> not to oh, traumatize man. you from the get-go no, that's that's totally fine. But man, gosh. So um, I was I was born. Um, I come from the tri-state area, New York specifically. Um, my mother immigrated here from the Philippines, which is a traditionally very Catholic country, and she married a white guy uh, who came from uh, Wichita, Kansas, and he brought with him kind of the Pentecostal Jesus. And so I really grew up with um, a pretty diverse. Uh, faith expression right from the get. Um, and, and from there, I really kind of church became kind of my, my thing. So, um, and, and it's not really just one particular denomination, you know, I think, um, a lot of people who hear I come from a church background, they're like, well, you know, like any frustration you might feel or any part of this story needs to go through the lens of your particular denomination. But when I tell you, like I've experienced come some, Catholicism and some Pentecostalism and some like non-denominational charismatic stuff. When I was in high school, I did a lot of like mega church, you know, kind of non-denominational attractional ministry. Um, when I was in college, I swung the pendulum to like the Baptist neo-Calvinist uh, uh, land. And then I uh, went really deep into kind of like reformed church planting a la Acts 29, um, which is a very kind of hot spot a lot of folks who come from the reformed world know a lot about x29 because they're hearing a lot of stuff about it so um when when i say like i feel like i kind of dipped a finger in every pie in the display case i kind of feel that way with the exception of maybe maybe like mainline 
Protestant. How dare you? Those are the best ones. I mean, I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I wouldn't know. Um, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Methodist now, so I'm kind of, I'm deep in it. I'm like a fake Methodist, though, because I kind of do. I'm not like, you don't tell me what to do. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah, good for you. It's like method. We use the term method loosely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all that to say, I think um, from kind of my, I I really lived my whole life just kind of trying to pursue the the ministry thing. And I think that was really like what I wanted to do. And um, I found myself in like my early 20s with the title worship pastor and like creative (laughs) pastor and like all of these things. um, And it wasn't until that point when I even started to kind of reevaluate my faith and kind of the, the, like the sexy word these days is deconstruction. Um, at the time I didn't really think it was deconstruction. I thought I was just confused. (laughs) (laughs) I was just exhausted and confused. And there was just this, um, maybe kind of overwhelming feeling of dis-ease. Um, Mm -hmm. there's this feeling of like, when you go to church, you're like, is this, is this it? You know, like, is this it? Um, and what it led to ultimately, and again, it's a pretty long story and I'm long winded as is, and we can go down any rabbit trail you want to, but, um, it really led to me asking like a lot of difficult questions of myself and the faith that I was handed my whole life. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, and, and all that to say, it ended up with me kind of leaving the church that I helped plant and all of the community that was embedded in that. And that was pretty painful. Uh, but what it turned into was it turned into starting Cody Rotten Church Kids podcast, and it's ended up being uh, fulfilling in a different way. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that you have built a cute little community. I feel like the Rotten, what is it called? What is that? Bad Apples. The Bad Apples. They're so cute and they're so yeah, diehard. They, I feel like they roll pretty deep. Yeah. They roll like, pretty deep. If I were to ever get canceled, I'd be so scared. Like, <laughs> me too. They're going to yeah, throw too. apples at me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been, yeah, the bad apples are, are pretty great. Um, it's been amazing. Some really cool friendships have been built by people, not only people who like listen to the show that I've become friends with, but like the community that they have found with each other all across kind of the world has been really cool um and so in some weird way i just feel like i feel like i invited a bunch of people to my house for a party Mm -hmm. and then i and then they all found out that they have a bunch of shit in common and then they can leave the party as friends and i don't you know need to necessarily like worry about that stuff as much anymore so all i was is just the the person that threw the party that's all i will say that is what i love about throwing parties is seeing my friends become friends it's like yeah i feel like a parent like oh friends (laughs) (laughs) i know are you like a uh like a conversational wingman where you go and you're like hey do you know okay where you go you're like hey do you know bill he's really into motorcycles and oh did you check this out oh guess what they uh grew up catholic or and they're like oh and then you just kind of like slither away as they talk about yeah pretty much yeah (laughs) and i think it's it works out mostly because I end up just being the most ridiculous person in the room, like the most egregious, like, cra- like, it's just people are like, oh, well, you're probably not as crazy as this bitch. So <laughs> that's true. It's, and I, I, I will gladly be uh, the, the person that they both laugh at if it means exactly. that they have something in common. Totally. totally. I love it. And I mean, my friends love me. So it's not like they're really like, oh, fuck this girl. But 
Anyways, right. speaking of community, um, I want to talk to you about being a person of color in the Pentecostal community. Hey. Because I often feel like people don't, they don't get it. Like, white Pentecostalism, I feel like is very, um. I mean, it's what you saw on TV, right? Like the Holy Rollers and the Billy Grahams, like everybody knows what that looks like. But I feel like it's a whole different level when you're a person of color. What was your like experience oh, in man. all of that? Because wow. you went yeah. to the Philippines, right, at one point? Yeah. So I, my experience with kind of the charismatic Pentecostal church is twofold. So um, my grandpa, he was a Pentecostal preacher on my dad's side, right? So I say my dad on my stepdad's side, but he was effectively my dad my whole life. Mm -hmm. So here's a you know, my grandpa was a white Pentecostal preacher in the middle of Oklahoma. And my grandma was a white pastor's wife in the middle of Oklahoma. And here, their oldest son married a Filipina, and he now has a little Filipino kid named Adrian. <laughs> and so I, I, was I was shipped to Oklahoma pretty early. I think I was like six years old. They shipped me to, to Oklahoma to spend like a summer with, with my grandparents. And honestly, some of my fondest memories were, were those times with my grandparents, but it was because of my grandparents. Um, <laughs> but what I was very quickly kind of uh, indoctrinated with and kind of brought up in is um, being like a Filipino kid, but he was the pastor's Filipino kid, even though the rest of the church was white. Um, and there were black folks in the church as well, but I, uh, in my experience, all the people of color who were at the Pentecostal church were really like kind of outreach opportunities hmm. um, where, you know, you would, you know, white folks would like get a bus and then they would just like pick up all these kids from their homes and like bus them into the, into the church, you know? And I think at the time, maybe in their mind, it's like, oh, this is like a missional thing. And you know, these kids want to be here, so we're bringing them. Um, but it it was a very kind of lopsided dynamic because it's like, you know, all the things you talk about, about, you know, white saviors and coming in and, mm. you know, bust people in. But so that was kind of the first thing where I was brought in and I saw like a very close representation of white Pentecostalism in that, like, my grandma never cut her hair. Oh, and... same. My grandma doesn't either and it pisses <laughs> me off. <laughs> did, did any of your... Uh, people in your kind of Pentecostal upbringing, did they ever like wear makeup or like earrings or pants? So luckily, we were, we were, like, the no makeup, no earrings, no only dresses. Like yeah. So in Mexico, know. my family is like that. They're very okay. much in that vein. But my American Pentecostal church that was still Latin is just in America. Uh, no, they had moved past that. I mean, okay. at some point, they had to decide whether if you were on the worship team, if you could wear pants or skirts, uh, but. Luckily, I mean, my mom was, is so vain, she would never survive. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we, we didn't like my grandpa didn't have a TV and he didn't buy a Christmas tree. Like they, they were like almost like. Like Jehovah's almost Witnesses. Like, yeah, it was almost <laughs> like Jehovah's Witnesses, like Witnessish. And um, but so there, there was very much like a speaking in tongues thing. Yep. And there was like the what I call like the the offering conga line where like, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, where you would like get in a line and like dance your way around 
the church to put your money in and you better be like the one who's dancing the hardest is the one who was yep. holiest that day and you had to um, get up and go to the front like you had to show your ass to the whole like i'm oh, giving yeah. money that what's funny is when i was and this is a sidebar but when i was a church planter we never like passed the plate we always had like a, hey if you feel like you want to tithe to our church you can go to the website well we would have people all the time who were like oh dude like it is statistically proven that if you pass the plate you are going to make more cash and we were like that's interesting but in hindsight i'm like dude we should have done a worship conga line yeah that's, that's how, you, how you get that's the money that's how you get the money because what yep. are they gonna do be the I only know. two people sitting there mm -hmm. like misers little ebenezer scrooges in the back hell no exactly so that's what we should have done so hindsight 2020 <laughs> that's how you get a hot tip to all the evangelicals still listening you got to do the yeah, conga line conga line baby yeah i cannot i i don't know if you have any insane stories but i've some pretty my family's church was just so wild they made up for not wearing for wearing pants you know they uh, <laughs> i remember like going we would have i'd go to church like six days a week quite literally because my parents were very involved and we were on the worship team and it was a shit show. But on Friday nights, they would have a regular service, just like the Friday night service for everybody, not just like a youth group situation. And afterwards, they and their group of homies would decide on certain Fridays if they needed to go have like a vigil at somebody's house. And all so, okay, so if there was like a new person, this is so awful. There's a new person who was like in a wheelchair. They would invite the person over to the so for a vigil, and then they would spend all night, like all night, into the wee hours of the morning, praying over this person to stand. Oh and my gosh! Was, and how many times did those people stand? I mean, it was pretty often, but they were always back in the wheelchair. I mean, you know that one uh, good stand and yeah then back. and the worst part is that the kids were there like we had to go i couldn't get dropped off and we weren't allowed to like watch tv while this was going on <laughs> so we we're just kind of like quietly being Not like watching independence rebels. day in the living room yeah that's dang that's we we did like a lot of um prayer meetings i in, in my my grandpa's church it was very much like we were there sunday morning we, we would have prayer meeting on Sunday morning and then you'd have church at like 1030 and then you'd mm. have like church lunch until like two. And then we'd like come back on Sunday night at around like six after dinner. And then we would come into prayer meeting on Wednesday night and mm. like youth group on Friday. It was you were there all the time. Uh, and then my parents, yep. like my grandparents were not only the preacher, but like my grandma played piano. We had, <laughs> we had a piano, we had a rudimentary drum set, and we had one semi-hollow electric guitar. And that was the jams, baby. That wow. Was a, a drum set though. Roll. How can like, whoa, progressive. I know. I know. Right. Right. We're just rocking the house for Jesus. Yep. That is the one thing that I really do appreciate about growing up in this Pentecostal church, though, is that this music was rocking. Like, people went on to record albums, and, like, it, oh, it was yeah. insane. The talent that my parents, and my parents were involved. My mom's not a very good singer, but they let her participate. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> I, I will say, yeah, like, a, a lot of the Pentecostal uh, churches were playing gospel music. Mm -hmm. And, like, gospel musicians are legitimately some of the best musicians that you're ever going to find and specifically because they have chops yeah freaking play and then too when you 
come from a church that is all about like free form open worship that you're going to sing one song for roughly 25 minutes right mm -hmm. over and over and over again and over, and then you have like an like an altar call and you got to play over and over and over again you learn very quickly to read a moment mm -hmm. and to read the band and to like improvise and kind of follow where you know the leader's going and so as a musician and i played music at pentecostal church as a musician like you become really um attuned to like being tight musically yeah so i totally agree yeah i mean i um recently joined oh god this is so embarrassing i joined the worship team at my church look at you because are like, you playing I'm, the drums no i'm i sang uh growing up i'm very musical but i gave up singing pretty um i didn't the last time i sang in a church was i was like 13. it was yeah. and then i was in, like high school choir but that shit doesn't count um <laughs> But I joined because they kept begging for people to join the fucking worship team and nobody would do it. And I'm already annoyed because I work at this church and I do everything. I mean, we're very yeah. small, whatever. Um, so I joined and then I quickly realized that I don't know how to be in a Methodist worship team. I don't know any of the hymns. They don't oh, sing yeah, any the like hymns. gospel songs. Okay. It's pretty, and it was like a big deal to the old, the little old grandmas when we got rid of the doxology because our pianist moved away, so we no longer had a pianist. Oh boy. And it's like, ma'am, I don't know the words to this song anyway. Like, I don't know what the doxology is. And I'll tell you right now that no one else knows it either. Exactly. And they're gotcha. like bitching and moaning because we don't, like the, all the songs aren't hymns. Well, they pick yeah. like normal songs. Yeah. And I'm like, ma'am, you want to grow right you want to reach the young deconstructed people right <laughs> you're not gonna get them with the fucking hymns that's so funny so so the church the pentecostal church you went to was more of like a were they like attractional like were they trying to like bring the young people in or were they more of like we are separate from the world we are distinct and we're not like the the world it was kind of attractional i mean it was this church was like a production i mean it was like a it was in the hood, so I don't understand. Like, looking back, like, every September was music month. So we would have this thing called Charro Night, which is where you would have on a Saturday, it was like a big Latin festival. So you would have like oh, cool. mariachis come in and like the kids that would dance the Mexican folklorico traditional dance would come and dance. And then there would be like a worship night slash recital night because they gave music lessons to the kids. Uh... And so you would have like everybody perform on a Saturday and it was like phenomenal. I performed. Sounds like a really musical church. And my dad would like, I remember I performed one year. I performed, um, what's that song? It was called uh, We, We Live, We Love, We Forgive and Never Give Up. It's by Super Chick. That's the name of the band. Dang. And wow, my dad was so excited. He built a catwalk off the stage so I could uh, sing. Into that's, the cute. that's cute. <laughs> it was very yeah. embarrassing now that Thanks I. Wouldn't even... <laughs> wouldn't even attend any of my stuff but let alone build you a cat build me a catwalk so i mean to you to be fair i was also in marching band and my parents went to one performance <laughs> okay. in all of high school and i had so it was just the got church it. shit got just, it got it got it yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. well it, it, i think like the my experience in like the white pentecostal church was kind of one flavor of pentecostalism which is very much like we are nothing like the world and we're really proud of it um, and then I think the other end of it, when I was in um, junior high into high school, I spent 
a, a number of years in the Philippines. My family relocated. We just moved there and lived in Manila, which is kind of the capital city of the Philippines. And um, basically, we, we got connected with this massive, like just this monstrous megachurch. Mm. And it had multiple campuses all over. It was planted by some white guy from Tennessee, and then it just blew up. And they had like this like um, multi-level marketing scheme of a discipleship program where you would disciple 12 people because that's the way Jesus did it. <laughs> and then every single person in your discipleship group would find 12 people within their circle of influence to oh disciple. Oh my God. So like before you know, I mean, you're not making any money off of this, but, but you could. But you should. I'm just kidding. You should, right? You totally should. <laughs> but like then like there becomes like this like street cred of like this dude has like, I'm part of this guy's tree. Like hundred, like a hundred yeah. in his tree, you know? And it's, anyway, that's like a whole aside. But what I found was like, it was very Pentecostal. Um, there was a lot, you know, like speaking in tongues and mm. a lot of like word of faith kind of healing, a lot of like name it and claim it kind of prosperity stuff. A lot of Here like, the shofars. We didn't have any shofars. Really? Oh, uh, no. Did you have a shofar? Yeah, yeah. There's fucking shofars everywhere in like the Latin churches. It's annoying. <laughs> I never had a shofar. I I I did have people who would like bring their own like tambourines and just go oh, yeah. on tambourines, but never a shofar. That's fascinating. What about the flags? The flag dancers. We did have flag dancers. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. we had we had a lot of like praise dancers. Um, Very embarrassing. Was, yeah, <laughs> a lot of praise. Yeah, it, it it's interesting. I'm trying to think, um, and and you can probably speak to this too because you have experienced Pentecostalism and then you've experienced what your current iteration of faith is, which is very much not performative. And mm -hmm. I feel like it's maybe more um, reflective, I imagine. And yes. like I went from a non-denominational megachurch to like a reformed kind of Baptist thing. And it was very similar. Oh yeah, I did like, the Baptist in between too. Don't worry, I got <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> and so like, I, I am thinking, I'm like wondering what it is about that particular expression that really valued expression you mm -hmm. know that like what was it that music and dancing and like skits there's always plays you know and like songs and stuff like what it was that made that so important i, I don't really have an answer for it i was thinking aloud i think like when you get into the people of color ones you often see that our cultures are more expressive in general i mean europe yeah. is kind of lame um I mean, the most expressive you get is the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, which is hilarious. Um, but like in Mexico, you would have people that would like convert and then they wouldn't dance in the clubs, but they still wanted to move their bodies. So they danced in the church oh, or that's like interesting. That's in interesting. our in our family's weddings. There's no dancing. I mean, there wasn't mine because I don't give a fuck, but um, you don't dance in Christian weddings in my family because it, yeah. we don't dance. It's it's bad. Yeah. But they would play worship music and kind of like jump up and down, like do the, the the traditional Pentecostal dancing. But they added like blow up saxophones and like hats, and it's cute. It's funny you say that because in my grandpa's church, they didn't do the flag and they didn't do praise dance. But at the Filipino churches, they did. And Ooh, I'm onto something. And I think, and I think, <laughs> I know, I think you're absolutely onto something because I think, like, as a culture, I I can speak to the Philippines, which was occupied. By Spain for hundreds of years. And, Twinsies. Uh, yeah, for real. <laughs> Thanks, Spain. Um, you know, 
that like there is um i think expression music in the context of community storytelling through like mediums other than language mm-hmm. um i think that was really important and to your point that doesn't just go away when you have a jesus fish slapped on your yeah. house well, I mean, like black Baptist churches are another example. They're not Pentecostal, but they're black and Gospel they're still yeah. so expressive, right? Because it's like a cultural thing that goes like it's ingrained inside of your DNA to that yeah. point. You know, you can't give yeah. it up because some religion told you to. <laughs> that's true. No, that's true. And I think, um, wow, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while because, you you know, when I lived in the Philippines, like they would always say like, wow, you know, like the Philippine, Filipinos are so musical and like they're so creative and they're so talented yada yada and in my mind i'm like oh that's great it's great to be filipino but also i'm like maybe that's just like that that was just a just the way like we as a people like connected and grew together as a community you know maybe that was just like the language we spoke it's not i don't know there's something in the water because let me tell you there was a ton of my friends in marching band were like so many of them were like Filipino for whatever reason in Downey, California, yeah. and they were all the best at everything. And you would, <laughs> I would go to their houses for like their birthday parties, and all of their aunts and uncles would sing karaoke. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're just gonna be all be the best singers I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I mean, to your point, Filipinos are pretty great at whatever <laughs> they, they decide to do. If yeah. they're like, if they're gonna sing or if they're gonna dance, like they can friggin' dance so well. So yeah, I mean, to your point, there could be something there. Um, but within my experience of the church, it was like creativity was deeply embedded. It became mm-hmm. a kind of like a like a missional opportunity where it's like you'd have like events and you would bring like your friends out and there'd be like bands playing and then there would be like skateboarders or <laughs> I don't know. I know. You yeah. know whatever, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, but but I think that's kind of the outside of it. And then within all of that, like the music and the dancing and the lights, there was absolutely a lot of like, this is how Hillsong does it. Oh, or yes. this is how, you know, like name your like mega church, like your white mega church. Like this is how they do it. This is how Bethel does it or elevation does it or like, and therefore like, that's how we're going to do it too. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, and it wasn't like, Oh, we want to grow. Cause, cause churches imitate other churches that are bigger than them, mm-hmm. but they, do it like in america but they do that like oh this is what fucking like elevation is doing so we need to do it too but they're not doing it because they want to be elevation per se they're like i just want to see the success that elevation has Mm -hmm. in the filipino church that i experienced they would go this is that hillsong does it and i physically want to be them yep and that's why we're doing this um because we we had the numbers i mean there was it was a huge Mm -hmm. church like how how big of a church do you want to do you really need to be like (laughs) that wasn't the point like the point was like we want to completely enmesh our identity in mm-hmm. this white megachurch, um, and I and I think that informed all of my Christianity, honestly, all of it, because every church I left after I left the Philippines, I always only ever went to white churches, mm. and I was like the resident brown guy at the <laughs> white church, you know. Um, yeah. So I just found that kind of interesting. I um. Yeah, I mean, in our Latin church, we sang a lot of Hillsong. Um, and maybe we we're just too poor to do that. We were so poor. <laughs> I 
I mean, we did everything else like in the thing, but um, yeah. But would you? But did you? Would you guys sing like? Would you all sing like your own like Spanish worship songs? So we sang a lot of the oldies that were the good ones, but then we would sing translated versions of everything. Okay. Okay. And then the kids, like the youth groups, would sing the English version and the Spanish. So lots of these songs I know in both English and in Spanish. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, But then, like, I remember talking to my friend um, who was black. He grew up in a black church and then went to, like, a big white mega church. And he says that he remembers when Kirk Franklin was, like, in trouble. Like, you couldn't listen to Kirk Franklin. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's around the time that we were singing Kirk Franklin. I guess the Mexicans (laughs) didn't get the memo. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't supposed to listen to Kirk Franklin. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. We, like, I think, like, there are like we we would only ever those filipino churches would only ever sing in english like they would they wouldn't and and that's what's the weirdest thing to me is that really never in tagalog no they wouldn't and and i think that's part of when i talk about like yes they were pentecostal and yes they were just a church of entirely filipino people and the and the preachers would kind of like speak taglish they would kind of toggle back and forth Mm -hmm. between tagalog and english but all of the music was English. And so like, and I think that again, just speaks to this identity crisis that so many um, mega churches in kind of like, I don't know, some of these countries are experiencing where it's like your mm. own identity is really not all that celebrated. Like it is, yeah. but if you look, if you like scratch just the nail under the the first layer of paint, you're, you're going to see yeah. it's really not. Yeah, I think the Latins are too proud of where they come from. We're very proud people, um, especially in Mexico. Oh, my gosh, it's the pride is intense. Uh-huh. Uh, but like my parents currently go to this huge mega church in Anaheim by uh, this guy named Dante Gebel. He's like a Argentinian and he's super famous. He's the most famous preacher in Latin America. And for yeah. whatever reason, he's in Anaheim, California, right down the street from Disneyland. <laughs> and they still do things that the way that my parents church did growing up like they latinize all the songs so they put a little jig to it yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit latin that's, that's great that's great but that's and the nice. the pastor's i mean not cool because i don't like him either I don't like his theology i guess or whatever bullshit i could say but he still wears like the hugo he has like a hugo boss suit deal so oh, he doesn't man. pay for these suits Nice. And that scene is like so so nice because he doesn't pay for expensive suits; they just give it oh, to him. Or he like rents his family a house. He doesn't buy a house because he doesn't uh, want to be tied down, so the Lord can move him wherever, wherever, wherever. It's really funny. And he has like a team of security around him at all times. Yeah, yeah. And because you, the I, Lord can bring him anywhere, and so he just needs to make sure that he's always ready. I exactly. Guess. He doesn't have a private jet, which is pretty chill, I think. <laughs> It's pretty chill for one That's, of him. But. Yeah, yeah, not bad. <laughs> but, like, I remember asking my parents, like, okay, so he's a pastor, right? Uh, I should be able to go, like, talk to him about his beliefs. Like, I could just be able to make an appointment, right? And he's like, no, you talk to one of the other 12 pastors that are under him. And I was like, what the fuck is the point of this stupid whatever? Um, so, give and take, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But how was that transition for you? Because I remember it was pretty shocking for me. I went from the Pentecostal church. I deconstructed that at 13 because I went as an asshole intellectual child. Oh. 
But I only went as far as going to a Baptist church. So that's not, I just didn't want people touching me and dancing around me. I just wanted to sit and chill. That was my deconstruction. Yeah. I mean, well, I think you, when you go, at least for me, when you go from a very like sensational, um, experiential, um, very behavior modification style church where it's like you don't dress a certain way and you don't talk a certain way and like you have to kind of like behave a certain way because that's just what we do that's just what is done Uh, maybe whether it's because it's a cultural thing or it's because like a religious thing like when you go from that to like a reformed baptist church where you're like yeah i smoke cigars or you're like, yeah, I did that too. I, oh my yeah. God. Well, like, like, and like that. Honestly, I I tell people all the time that going, like, becoming reformed in my experience was a form of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just this one huge thing. Like this, it was a slow burn, baby. And I think the first kind of bit was changing my theology. And so then it just became. Ultimately, it was more like, I am reformed. And then it was like, how much more can I? continue to reform if that makes sense yeah i totally identify with that because i remember starting off with like the hookah and the cigars and the clove cigarettes because yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh love my gosh i would the be black on is those. still like my jam tastes like Christmas. amen what is with the reformed and the germ black <laughs> i swear <laughs> they're so delicious yeah they're great and then i started getting tattoos and i was a bad kid and my grandma my poor grandmother's eyes and I started saying bad words because I forget the guy who was saying bad words in church and yep. maybe it was Mark Driscoll. I don't remember. It was probably Driscoll, yeah. And then all the little boys were like in love with Mark Driscoll and they were all like, fuck feminism. Josie was like, hey, well, fuck you. Um, <laughs> started talking about systematic theology and all this stuff. And it was, I remember the deconstruction process like further, like was furthered in me when I started going to a fucking evangelical Christian college. And I was like, I'm smarter than all of you bitches. Like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You don't understand half of systematic theology. Oh, that's funny. And then I was like, this is all bullshit. You guys are just spewing out what you've heard on the internet. This is dumb. And then liberal Josie was born. And now I'm here. Yeah. And we love liberal Josie. (laughs) She's pretty intense. I will say that. I had um, Daniel Ramos from Angry Christ- or Angsty Christian Podcast on, and he just was telling story after story of how I was like such a brat. And he's like, I hated Josie because she was da 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 but I was just wanted to be like Josie. And I was like, oh, oh, you, oh, you guys know each other? Yeah, we went to school together. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Had me on his show. It was, it was a great time. He's good people. Yeah, it was... Um, I was pretty sad. I was like, oh, people, I'm not that sad, actually. But people remember me as the liberal lunatic, which is great, I think. I was going to say, I feel like the Enneagram 8 in you is like giving yourself a little pat on the back. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked on it. <laughs> You're like, I'm fucking notorious. It's great. I know. King Josie, that's what they would call me. Good for you. Oh, good for me. Okay, moving on from my little party. Um, so when you started the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast, had you already not been talking to your parents for a while? Oh man. Um, no, no, that those two things, like, you know what, they were not, 
my relationship with my family really didn't crumble because of my deconstruction. I know so many story after story after story of people who are like, hey, I stopped calling myself a Christian or I no longer adhered to evangelical theology or I started rethinking heaven and I started rethinking sin and I started making the table longer to include like folks in the LGBTQ plus community and all these things. And they're like, when I shared that with my parents, that's when I essentially got, you know, cut off. That was not my experience. Um, my experience was like, I, I was brought up in such a strict family. I became like the best liar. Like, oh. like my parents don't Sick. know me. Like they don't know who I am yeah. because I had be, I just became so good at never revealing who I actually was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like they don't know like at, at one point my dad i think i told my dad that i was like going through i was just asking a lot of questions and i was having a lot of confusion in my faith and he's like can i ask you some questions about that i remember saying like you can ask me but like i don't want this to become um a debate mm. and so i was like if you if you ask me these questions with the goal of winning me over or convincing me like i don't really want to do that and then we just so it just never happened. And so um, my relationship with my parents was never had any real depth that I can recall. Mm. Um, so the deconstruction wasn't what did it. But what happened was when I started Dirty Rotten Church Kids, when that podcast started, it allowed it gave me and my and my co-host at the time enough elbow room to like actually grow grow like <laughs> yeah. actually flourish as people mm -hmm. and so with the d and, and to this day the best thing about my faith change wasn't all the dogma that i let go of that's been great um but the best thing is to go i have this body for x number of minutes that i have it mm -hmm. and i have this life for x number of minutes that i have it and therefore every minute is precious and i have no desire to waste it on any bullshit that is not worth mm -hmm. time and energy. And so that was a revelation to me because that is that flies in the face of everything we were taught when you grew up in evangelicalism because you're not your own, right? And you are always under headship of someone or something. And like your boundaries are only as uh, strong as your desire to please God and serve God, right? Because mm -hmm. God's love knows no boundaries. So who are we to you know say no when we want to? And undoing that and leaning into, no, I am going to not put up with like bullshit. That is what ultimately caused me to fall out of a relationship with my parents. And um, it, it was, uh, it was because of the way I was treated. It wasn't yeah. because of the, you know, my belief, it was completely independent. So like, I, I and, and I'm actually glad that's the case because then, no one could write it off as like, oh, Adrian, well, you know, he deconstructed. He's, he, he's an ex-evangelical. Yeah, he doesn't even God <laughs> anymore. And that's why he's doing this. Like, no, like I did that and they didn't even know what I believed or didn't believe. Mm -hmm. um, and so in some way it feels like more honest because then they don't have any excuses to hide behind. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I feel like it's so true. And that for those of us who do go no contact with various of our family members, I feel like that is the most liberating part of those of us who have deconstructed 
um, like more and more each day. And probably because I am disabled and because I was born with a personality to not really give a fuck. Um, I just like don't care about anything like and I mean, I've gone through lots of loss and every more and more it's compounded to like what you said. We're here for a very short amount of time. I don't got time for this shit. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like the last time I went to Mexico, um, we went on this family road trip vacation and those bitches gave me COVID because they're anti-mask and anti-vaccines. Yeah. And this is Omicron. So I was still kind of like, and I hadn't gotten COVID at that point. Um, but things were opened up, you know, and everybody was fucking sick and they're like, oh, it's the flu. But what they failed to tell us is that they never got tested. So they didn't know that for sure. And at one point we were arguing in the lobby hotel and I'm crying and they're like, why are you so upset? And I was like, cause I'm sick. I don't like, what if you killed me? Like, what the fuck? Oh my God. And my dad is stressed because we're in a foreign country. We don't have medical insurance and we have to like go home. And so like my dad and I are both stressed and like, this is the first time I take my white ass partner to Mexico and I'm like, great. And they gave him COVID. This is just fucking fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And right across from us is the most racist bakery with this like minstrel person. It was like the culmination of a terrible like vacation. But at one point I remember my cousin saying like, well, if it's somebody's time to die, it's their time to die. And I was like, oh, okay, so fuck me then. I'm going to die. Fuck you. Uh, and then yeah. they, like, didn't want to apologize for offending me because um, they didn't, essentially, like, they didn't mean to offend me. So, like, they, I, they didn't offend me. And I was like, okay, like, you guys don't know how anything works. That's fine. And we left and it was great. But I decided I'm done. I'm not talking to any of you. And at the time, I was like, I have a lot of people all over the world that I could visit. I could spend my time and my fucking money to go travel to see these people. But instead, I make the time to come visit you. And this is the way you treat me. And then that's kind of evolved into what we're talking about now. This whole, like, we don't have time for this bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty fortunate that my dad is very evangelical, but he was never conservative. God bless. Um, He's an immigrant, so, you know, it's kind of hard. whatever um but my mom is like clinically narcissistic it's pretty intense and the only reason i talked to her is because i like my dad and i think multiple times i've said if my dad dies tomorrow i'm probably never gonna talk to my mom again she doesn't know who i am she doesn't like me she said i've asked her like mom do you like me and she's like i love you um but i don't like who you are as a person i was like oh fuck (laughs) and uh this was like a few months ago so at that point i was just like holy shit that's hilarious who says that like what the i i wish i wish that like i wish i had like that energy of like (laughs) man fuck you i don't give a fuck about what you think about me like i don't give like i i think for me like i Man, how do I how do I put this? I was like, so like, I was born, and my mom divorced my biological dad. He left to have like his own family, and then so then I was kind of brought into this new family with my stepdad, and then they him my mom they had babies, and so seven years later, nine years later, my half brother and sister were born. I'm sorry, my half brother and my half sibling were born. Um, they're non-binary, and they but like this feeling of 
um, I think acceptance was always very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. I think I um, kind of have a very anxious attachment style, and I have a mm. lot of a lot of my people pleasing tendencies. I think stem from that, and so I've always been a people pleaser. I think my family has always been incredibly strict, incredibly conservative, and evangelical, which is why I was such a great liar growing up. Um, <laughs> and but but like for people who are kind of predisposed to try and please their parents especially when it's like well my biological dad left me and like you have like my stepdad now and then you also have like my half siblings so i you know there's just this feeling of like well i'm just kind of yeah really floating around yeah, yeah you know and so identity is so crucial acceptance is so crucial and so it was really hard to to kind of like cut the cord because then you're mm -hmm. almost giving them permission to go see i knew it yeah I, I fucking knew he was the black sheep he's always been he's just like his father or whatever and so yep. there was a moment where you have to for me i had to kind of just go I, I i'm i'm if that's what it takes yeah you know in order for me to kind of not be just rife with anxiety and guilt and all this stuff mm -hmm. like if you're opinion perception of me is just confirming the bias you already had um then okay you know that was yeah yeah i mean i feel like i was born with like an immense amount of privilege like being born an eight on the enneagram and being born like kind of a rebel because i mean i was a middle child which was a different version of the black sheep but God bless my mother. She made it very apparent from a young age that I was a black sheep. She like really knocked it into me. So it was always like in deeply ingrained and very much spoken about. Like there was never a doubt. It was just like, that's a black sheep. Do you, do you think, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. Do you think like there was, and, and again, like this, this can sound very name it and claim it. I don't mean it to, but I do know that like the, the things you say about your kids whether it's to their face or to yourself informs a lot of the way that they form. Like, do you think it had any impact on your growth and how you developed? Absolutely. I mean, I started going to therapy when I was seven years old because I was a pretty smart kid and my dad was going through the immigration process and his lawyer was like, if this bitch needs to stay here for mental health, then you could say, I was like, great. Okay, fine. Whatever. That's funny. I know, but I was a little weird. Like, I remember when my dad telling me that when I was a kid, he was really creeped out at one point because I was really obsessed with the concept of death. Like at a like too young of an age, like kindergarten. And he was Wednesday like Adam's energy. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I learned how to read really early on. And then I never stopped reading. I would just read too many books. And then you had an eighth grader reading Machiavelli's The Prince. And they're like, oh, my God, she's going to be a serial killer. <laughs> but I was also just like not really concerned with the status quo like with narcissists they want you to be what they want you to be essentially they're you're my i'm my mother's status symbol and i didn't clean my room and i wanted to be in marching band and i didn't want to play the piano i wanted to sing instead all these like stupid little rebellions that culminated into my mom just being like you're not what i want you to be yeah. and it was just so yeah, it was just deeply ingrained in me from a very beginning of like, you are not being a good girl and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're the black sheep. And it's like, mm. all right, crazy Josie. I'm in my family, like my extended family. It's so 
Josie's the craziest just because I don't care. And there is, and I, and I I don't think they would mind me saying this, but like there was a moment that my sibling Kay, they were brought up. Like I remember in the beginning, like my mom was always very cruel. She was like really good at being cruel. And um, mm. my my brother, without any decision of his own, he just always just kind of did the, the right thing. Like he was always great. Like he was kind of yeah. the oldest child that they probably would have wanted. They had. Um, but poor Kay was not like that. Kay and I were very similar. And so there, I remember there being a moment of seeing Kay go from like really craving my mother's affection mm -hmm. to a turn. And I remember leaving for college. And when I came back, they didn't care. And it was just like, and I think that is like kind of what you're saying, where it's like if yeah. you are told enough times that you're like, you're not listening and you're disrespectful and you're rambunctious and you're, no, you're good for nothing, whatever. And eventually you start to be like, okay, sure. Okay, great. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Like anybody who like, it's like a really unique superpower because like on Twitter, people say the most awful things. Right. And I'm like, there is nothing that you can say that my mama hasn't already said to me. I don't care. <laughs> for real though. No, for real. for real. And I feel like pretty blessed because I feel oftentimes we're the ones that break these generational traumas. Right. And um, I'm a preacher now. I recently started preaching at church <laughs> to my mother's chagrin. She thinks I'm a fucking heathen. Oh, that's so funny. And I did a whole like sermon on generational trauma. And I'm more of a like a mystic spiritualist. I'm not really like the Lord talks to me. I'm just kind of like the Lord. I just know what I'm supposed to say, mm. which is very arrogant, but whatever. And when I was writing the sermon, all I remember thinking was, it sucks but you gotta do it like sorry like that's your job like uh, we can bitch about it we can complain like it's not fair it's not fair but yeah sometimes you're just the person that was meant to fix the generational trauma and it is your duty to do so and that uh, sucks but and i wish that i wish i didn't have to hear you say that sorry about it like <laughs> no no because I, I i'm so glad you to hear you say it because like i think uh and i'm sorry i interrupted you you were telling you were finishing no that was pretty much it you're good um I have a, a, a soon to be six year old son named Wilder and I have a, a four year old daughter named Scout. And my wife Those Alyssa, are rambunctious kids. I can already oh, they are. I they know are based on kids. the names. I love it. Yeah, they're rambunctious kids. Um <laughs> and I love them for it. Um but and like uh my wife Alyssa and I are, are like really pursuing like gentle parenting and screen free mm -hmm. parenting and and that is so different than what I was handed. Mm -hmm. um, like I grew up, you know, like getting spanked and getting scolded and getting yelled at forever, like all day, every day. Um, and yep. And so it is very weird to approach your own kids and catch yourself falling into the patterns that you experience when you're a kid. Mm. I'm like, oh shit, I'm doing a side eye, like a devil <laughs> side eye that my Filipino mother invented. Yeah, like, yeah. That is like, that is- The death like, stare. Yeah, dude, like that is, whew. and you know, or whatever, or or I'm like being deliberately, uh, like I'm like deliberately being like, like condescending or like being mm -hmm. like overbearing or whatever. Like, I know I'm doing this to try and scare them into, and I'm like, what the fuck? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so you saying like, it sucks that it's our job to do it, but- it's kind of our turn. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is the world's biggest bummer because 
that also kind of when you they don't tell you about keeping relationships with your parents is that eventually you're gonna have to start fucking parenting them and like my brother he's 22 years old he's in his uh communist marxist phase you know that the the liberal kids go through and he's like we shouldn't own land and then he'll say something like dad they should be paying you more and he like does roofing with my dad while he's in nursing school and he's like they don't pay us like all this like stuff and i'm like you are right you are correct but i'm sorry that the world is this way and it's to the point where I'm the only person in my family that can talk to my brother because they refuse to try to learn. So my mom is like, well, call me. And it's like, your brother, can you call him and like parent your brother? And I'm like, okay, sure. Juanito, come over to my house. We'll fix this. And essentially all I'm saying is, dude, your parents are fucking crazy. Why are you trying to convince them? They're not going to convince them. Like just exist next to them for all yeah. you care. I got on a phone call. I had a phone call. Uh, my sibling Kate called me on Thanksgiving and they're like, Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I, I saw mom and dad, which is wild to me. Like I'm don't, I don't speak to, to mom and dad, but, but Kay does. And they're like, non-binary <laughs> the non-binary one, I'm like, yeah. okay. All right. Well, um, like, I guess for some reason, like what, fine. Great. Um, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah. Uh, so mom got a puppy. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. She goes, do you know why mom got a puppy? She goes, no. Cause mom said when I was younger, um, I had, there was a neighborhood dog. And I was really mean to this dog and I was really cruel and overbearing to this dog. And I promised myself that I, I would get a new dog and I would treat that dog better. And so I got this dog and now it's like my second chance of being a better, you know, owner to this dog. And me and Kay were like, huh, great. Well, I'm glad that dog is getting to experience what about a better me? version of <laughs> Nice to be that dog. Yeah. You know, that's great. Yeah. So. That is my mom to a T. She, um, she doesn't have grandkids, even though she keeps bothering me about it. But we have like my cousins and I are all very close. So they're like pseudo grandparents to these three kids of my cousins. And they love it so much. And she's like, I can't believe like on another another cousin's kids. I can't believe the way that they hit their kids. Like, it's so bad. So they're like, you remember the way used to hit you? It's worse. And I'm like, Okay, so we're just gonna acknowledge the yeah, so abuse. We agree that you hit me. Great. great. Okay, and then, okay, great. But she still refuses to apologize. I'm like, okay, perfect. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. sounds about right. Yeah. I yeah, it's a, uh... and then the fact that these people are religious just kind of gets me. Like, it's the cherry on top for sure. Yeah, many of my, I have Calvinist cousins in Mexico for whatever reason, and it's the most confusing thing to me because i'm like uh bitch you're poor like you think that you're chosen okay that's so funny yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's funny you're elect yeah god elect for this to happen okay yeah, yeah. and they yeah. still hit their kids with the the stick or whatever yeah the paddle they paddle people but and they have a like a purse size one with the scripture on it and i remember her wow. pulling it out at this restaurant while i'm oh, there visiting wow. and I'm like you hit your kid with that and i want to snatch it away from you and hit with you with it and see how you like it and I was like, so like, and this is a trauma response, right? Like, I'm so traumatized from being beat that I was very mean about it. I was not joking. Yeah, and they just like silently put it away. And I was like, that's what I thought, bitch. But like, that's in the name of religion. This abuse in the name of religion is quite intense. It's very yeah. Pentecostal, I think, too. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. But anyways, that's enough of that for now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks, Adrian, for coming on to talk about our know, shared right? traumas. Yeah, it was. Wow, man, we have a lot more in common, Josie, than I than I thought. Well, I knew we had a lot in common. Yeah. But to hear it hashed out is. I know. I had a. I had a feeling. I can always. Yeah, real recognize real. <laughs> yeah, I can always recognize. It. <laughs> okay. You're yeah. a broken child too, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, your mama beat you too, huh? Okay, <laughs> yeah, 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 great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always you're, you're, the, you're the crumbled shell of a, yeah. a brown person, aren't you? Yeah, sure I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. Great. Same, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, plug away at your podcast as if the people don't already listen to it, but go ahead. <laughs> don't mind if I do. So yeah, so I have a podcast called the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Uh, you can check it out, dirtyrottenchurchkids.com, anywhere you uh, partake of your pods. <laughs> uh, Dirty Rotten Church Kids is on Instagram and Twitter, Dirty Rotten CK. No, Dirty Rotten Church Kids is Instagram and TikTok. Twitter is Dirty Rotten CK. If you want to send me an email, it's dirtyrottenck at gmail.com. Uh, I have a merch store. I have a Patreon. Um, basically, the Patreon, I do a bonus episode a month. Um, and then they, you get access to a Bad Apple only Discord server. And it's a it's a good time. They do you know IRL hangs, you know meetups and all that stuff. Um, and I think that is it. I just released an episode. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but the first week of December, I released an episode with John Huertas, uh, an actor most notably on uh, This Is Us. That was a lot of fun. And then uh, just a little like sneak peek. I have another episode dropping at the end of this year um, where I interviewed Lucy Dacus, who is an incredible musician. So I felt really honored to speak to her. So yeah. That's me. That's all the Sick. things. Yeah, I will say, friends, that I'm very particular about merch that I buy because I don't like ugly t-shirts. And I do have a Dirty Run Church Kids t-shirt. Oh, so yeah. It's pretty cute. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a bitch about that. We, friends will be like, buy my merch. And I'm like, oh, honey. I'm not a, yeah, I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm really particular to you. Yeah. I'm not a merch person in general. Yeah. So I'm like, I need to both appreciate the, the brand and I need to appreciate the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And then I need to appreciate it enough but I feel like I can apply it into my repertoire of outfits. Otherwise, yep. I, I can't do it. And I'm pretty ride or die. I bought a t-shirt from a art show in art school. Like somebody put on their art show and they had t-shirts. And it said, sorry, dad, with like skater stuff on it. Right. And I was like, this is it. I And I still wear it in public to this day. And, yeah. and I just love it. Yeah, well, um, that just means you're selective. So yeah. I appreciate that. So ride or die, it's there. I vouch 100% for this merch. <laughs> Speaking of merch, I have merch. Um, that's on the Instagram at Speak Again Church. You can follow us there. Um, I started trying to make memes, Ooh, good for you. which is harder than I thought. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm easy. I'm easy. I, yeah, but I um, also make reels. I started because re on my fucking reels, I only get Christian reels. Yeah. So. I'm a, that, that's a thing that's like i i like i'm i care i don't really care about making memes anymore i did it for three mm -hmm. years and i'm kind of like okay kind of over it and like the next thing people are like oh well you should probably be making reels and tiktoks and stuff and i'm like man i just don't have the time or the energy to do it so nope. right now i'm just making a podcast i might yeah you know, when i find time i might make more reels but good for yeah. you for doing it well mine are like I'm just talking into the camera, but it's basically a podcast <laughs> with a little video. That's <laughs> I'll be hey, making fun it? of something. When you put it that way, I might be able yeah. to do it. Well, because I'm not going to do the transitions or the like, I don't know, whatever. I can't do it. I can't yeah. do the complicated stuff. I'm just going to talk into the, the thing. Um, right. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast. You already found it. So there you go. 
Um, I think that's it. Find me at Josie Takes the World. I'm less interesting than the podcast page. I will say that. Oh yeah, my personal Instagram yeah. handle. I'm so boring. So. Yeah. yeah. You can girl. follow me, yeah. but I'm so boring. Yeah. Uh, great. That's it. Uh, as always, stay woke or get woke, please, for the love of God. And sorry, your job to fix the generational trauma, everybody. Whoops. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. Bye. Bye, friends. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.